0: Hello everyone, and welcome back to this series where we're looking at how we can summarise the results of trials and try to highlight some of the pitfalls we can fall into when we look at the data. So this time, we have another new treatment for COVID, trade named Paxlovid. The last one out was Molnupiravir, named after Thor's hammer. So how did the new company, Pfizer, compete in the naming stakes for their exciting new medicine? Well, not very well. For a long time, the active ingredient was called PR07321332, which isn't catchy at all. They've now changed it to nirmatrelvir, which doesn't seem to have a cool and interesting backstory either, other than the vir bit, which means antiviral. But it does have the advantage of being pronounceable at least. So molnupiravir wins hands down in the naming stakes, but does it win in the cool medicines to use stakes? Let's see. So first of all, what is nirmatrelvir and how does it work? Nermotrelvir is a viral 3C-like protease inhibitor. This means that it stops the SARS-CoV-2 protease enzyme working. But how does this help? And how does this compare to molnupiravir? So molnupiravir was a fake nucleoside that got incorporated into the growing RNA chain, so making garbage code that made non-functional proteins. Nermotrelvir works at a later stage in the process. It doesn't interfere with the RNA transcription, so the proteins get made as normal. However, these proteins get made as a long chain of different proteins all stuck together, a bit like an airfix model where you have to snap all the different plastic bits out first and then stick them together in the right order. In the airfix world, this is done by small children in the 1950s. In the virus world, this is done by proteases. By stopping these working, nermotrelvir stops the functional proteins being produced, leading to the virus not successfully replicating. In the Airfix analogy, it's the difference between having a model of a Spitfire ready for painting and just having a load of plastic clagged together in the box. In addition, nermotrelvir is also given ritonavir, which confusingly is also a protease inhibitor against the HIV virus this time. However, in this case, ritonavir isn't being used as a protease inhibitor in its own right, but as a booster for the nermotrelvir, It does this by inhibiting or stopping the work of the cytochrome P450 3A4 enzyme in the patient's liver and elsewhere. 3A4 along with P glycoprotein is the body's main defence against a selection of medicines. P glycoprotein is an efflux transporter kicking the drug out of cells and 3A4 is a major metabolic enzyme for a large number of medicines deactivating them and helping them get kicked out of the body. By blocking the action of P450 3A4 Ritonavir helps nermotrelvir to loiter around the body longer without being mopped up by the body's policeman enzymes, so you get to give less for the same effect. So that's the drug and how it works, but what does it do, and how do we know this? So the clinical trial that's been analysed by the company is the EPIC-HR trial. So our first step is to look at the paper and give it a quick check with the PICO mnemonic to make sure we're interested. So for EPIC-HR, Population, P, is unvaccinated patients outside of hospital at high risk of complications with COVID symptoms. So are these like our patients? The intervention, I, is nermotrelvir plus ritonavir within three to five days of developing symptoms, which sounds like something we'd like to do. Control, C, is placebo, which sounds like what we're doing now. And the outcome, O, is hospitalisation or death, which sounds like something we in patients will care about. So from this PICO analysis, we can see that we probably care about the trial. There's a bit of a caveat on the population, but not enough to throw the whole paper in the bin. So now we should probably have a look at the data. What is the data? So at an interim analysis point, which is a point in the trial where they agree to have a look at the data to see whether it's ethical to continue recruiting, they found that people in the recruitment arm had a 0.77% chance of being admitted to hospital, compared to 7.01% in the placebo arm. 0.77 is 11% of 7.01, so we've reduced the risk of hospitalisation by a whopping 89%. This makes a good headline and compares favourably with Molnupiravir, which reduced the risk of hospital admission by a paltry 30%. Although remember that just a few weeks ago, that 30% sounded really impressive. But remember that these are relative risk reductions. These are good for mathematical manipulations, but less good for patient understanding. For patient and clinician understanding, it's better to use absolute risk reductions and numbers needed to treat. So what are these numbers for Nermotrelvir? So out of every 100 patients in the nermotrelvir trial, and give or take the decimal points which are within the margin of error of the universe anyway, 7% were admitted to hospital if they got placebo, and 1% if they had nermotrelvir. 7-1 is 6, so 6% of patients benefited. Or to turn it round, we'd need to treat about 16 patients for 1 to avoid hospital admission. And for molnupiravir, 10% were admitted to hospital if they got placebo, and 7% if they got molnupiravir so 3% of patients benefit, or you need to treat around 34 patients for one to avoid a hospital admission. These are more understandable numbers. So does this now mean we can declare Nermotrelvir the winner? Nermotrelvir looks like it's at least twice as good as Molnupiravir, whichever stat you use. Well, as you might guess, things aren't that simple. The problem with comparing between trials is that there can be lots of differences in trial design, which means the results just can't be compared together. For example, in trials looking at adverse effects, asking, Did you get any side effects? Can get markedly fewer side effects reported compared to giving the people a checklist? Did you get a headache? Did you feel sick? Etc. So if subtle things like this can make things difficult to compare, we need to be really careful comparing two trials of shiny new drugs in what could be very different scenarios, particularly as the statistics for all of them are from non-peer-reviewed interim analyses, so we can't even look at what might be different between the trials, let alone begin to analyse it. Things that might make you think there may be something to think about is what is reported for the placebo groups. The Nermotrilvir trial had a placebo hospitalisation rate of 7%, whereas Molnupiravir had a placebo hospitalisation rate of 10%. Were their populations the same? We just don't know, so we need to be cautious. There's also the niggling problem of the population in the PICO analysis, so that even if it ends up that the trials were looking at similar patient groups, are they the same as our patient groups? The trials were in high-risk, unvaccinated patients. Our patients are highly likely to have been at least double, if not triple, or quadruply vaccinated. So can we extrapolate? Again, we just don't know. So to pull it together, you've got 30 seconds to get your message across to a colleague who's asking about Nermotrelvir and whether it's better than Molnupiravir. What do you say? Well, using the Pico mnemonic for structure, with an extra C at the end for confidence, you could potentially say, For high-risk, unvaccinated patients, population, given Nermotrelvir within three days of symptom onset, intervention, Compared to giving them nothing, control, 6 out of 100 avoided a hospital admission, outcome. This compares to the 3 out of 100 we saw benefit for from Molnupiravir, outcome again. However, confidence, we haven't seen the full trials yet, so we can't compare them to each other, and we don't know how effective they might be in our patients who are high risk, but likely to have had a vaccine or three. They seem like a good thing to do, but we'll need to wait for real world data or more trials before we can say if they work for our patients, or which one might be better. And that's it. Hopefully it's been interesting and given you a bit of understanding about the new nirmatrolf here and also given you the confidence to have intellectual humility. This is what we think is the best guess now and this is what we have to base our decisions on. But we don't have enough information to offer advice on everything and the stuff we do have enough information on to give advice, we know we're not guaranteed to be right. So we'll be prepared to change our opinions in the future when there's more data. Thank you and see you next time.